0: His image and likeness, Jeremiah twenty four six through seven. By now, I hope you're very familiar with this verse. And I told you what I, lo- I like to do is pray these promises, and I say, God, for you said you have set your eyes on me for good. You will bring me back to into my promised land and my destiny, and you will build me and not pull me down, and plant me and not pluck me up, and and then you will give me a heart to know you that I, you are the my Lord and. And I will be your child and you will be my God. And for I'm going to turn to you with my whole heart. Pray that. What a promise. A couple Sundays ago I added these verses. Daniel 11 and 32. The people who know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Exploits. One of the major failings of Christianity. And we need to be honest enough to, to assess our own shortcomings as the church and the earth. One of the major failings of Christianity is Christianity has always focused so much on the spiritual that we have forgotten there are six other areas of a person's life. There is the spiritual component. And in our minds, we rationalize, well, you're going to live forever, so that's the most important one, right? Well, it is Really, it is. But to the person who isn't planning on dying anytime soon, they're more interested in their physical health, which is one part of that. Their family, which is the the third part. First is the spiritual, then the physical well-being, the family, the social component, the cognitive component, which is their ability to learn, process, and move forward in life. Then there is the emotional component, And then there is the financial component. Jesus said, i am come that you might have life and that you might have it. What was he talking about that just in the spiritual component? Life is all those seven things. The church failed by only emphasizing the spiritual. So since they didn't teach people how to be successful in these other areas, This was the response of the church when people said, my finances are drying up, my marriage is failing, you know, my kids don't want to go to church. Hang on, the rapture's coming. (laughs) You know. All right, then you had somebody else that come along and they emphasized only the finances and that gave rise to the so-called prosperity gospel. What mistake did it make? It also neglected the other six. Until we preach all seven, we have not fulfilled the mandate of the gospel. We are supposed to make people's lives whole. And what this verse says is when it says carry out exploits, it means in all seven areas of your life. How would you like to see some exploits in your finances? Come on, help me out here. You know what, exploits, that's not just ordinary stuff. Anybody like to have some extraordinary finances? Okay, what about extraordinary relationships or an extraordinary family? I'm at a point in my life where family means more to me than money. I'd like to see exploits in my family. Amen. All seven areas be blessed, okay, because Here's the thing we've got to understand. If a part of your life is suffering, you are suffering. Amen. Amen. It's you that's suffering. Jesus understood this. Amen. And so it's kind of like Boudreaux. (laughs) The bank manager called him in to discuss his accounts. The bank manager said, now, look, Boudreaux, your finances are in terrible shape. Your check-in account is overdrawn. Your loans are overdue. Your house note is past due. And Boudreaux said, Yeah, Sha, I know. It's my wife, Marie. She done spun out of control with this spending. And the banker asked Boudreaux, he said, Why do you allow your wife to spend more money than you have? And Boudreaux says, Well, Sha, it's like this, Mr. Banker. He said, it's because I'd rather argue with you than with her. Think about it. If Boudreaux's having financial trouble at home, he and his wife are not getting along and the family's not doing good. That means the emotional component is suffering. Now you get where I'm coming from? Until a gospel is preached that benefits the whole of a person, which is what I am trying to teach. And so I want to speak to you today from the subject how to manifest your destiny now, until we do that and make the gospel applicable to our, our everyday lives, people are gonna always think that we're we're somewhere on another planet somewhere, and we don't deal with the realities of life. I want to declare to you that if there's been a failing that exists in this area that I'm talking about, and if the church has in the past made the mistake of being too one-dimensional and just a spiritual component to the neglect of the other six or emphasizing prosperity to the neglect of the other six or any other aspect. Or somebody said, I'm a word man, I'm word, I'm word. But they, they, again, don't emphasize the other things. That no matter how well intended that might have been, it did great detriment and harm. And it does not represent the heart of God for his people. And what I want us to do this year is experience exploits in every area of our lives. Look at your neighbor and say, God wants to bless every area of your life. Would you do that? Father, in your name, speak to us today and let your will be done. Teach us to understand the entirety of your intentions for us, your love for us. We ask it in your name, and everybody said, amen. First Thessalonians 5:17. pray without ceasing. So this year, we're talking about building your dream. Well, okay, now then, let's take off. What is your dream? Well, it's the life you've always wanted to live. Well, what is that life? It's all seven of those things we've just talked about. You don't want to be behind or lagging or deficient in any of those areas. You want every area of your life to be complete and entire. Now, every once in a while a movie comes out that is really worth going to see. Every once in a while. Jason Bourne. Mission impossible. Okay, if you're not on that level, (laughs) y'all pray for me. I need the prayer. You need the practice, and then we'll all do (laughs) bit of. I want to talk about how to manifest your destiny now. In 2012, the movie that was, in my opinion, one of the greatest movies made that year was The Vow, based on the true story of Kim and Cricket Carpenter. Anybody see the movie, The Vow? Very few of you did, and probably everybody here should see it. The book on which the movie was created makes it clear that they are very committed Christians, and all interviews I've ever seen done by Oprah on down with them, they make it clear they're born-again believers. To get past the PC police, the politically correct police in Hollywood, though, to make the movie marketable, The movie changed what the book said and presented them as not being believers by removing references to their faith and even adding a few things that made it appear that they were not believers at all. But even with that, it's a movie that is still worth seeing because it has a very redemptive theme. Tell you a little bit about it. The movie is about a wife who, as the result of an accident, has severe amnesia and she never recovers from it. They are hit in an automobile accident. She wakes up, doesn't remember who she is, doesn't remember her marriage. In fact, doesn't remember anything for a two-year window around the time of that accident and when it occurred, and worse, she never gets those memories back. Now, this is what is amazing. The husband, Kim Carpenter, even though his wife, when she woke up from the coma, the trauma, the accident, and looked up and thought he was her doctor. He loved her so much and believed in the vows that he had exchanged with her in marriage that he then set about to win her love all over again for the second time. And he did. He won her love and they were married again. He loved her so greatly that it pursued her and won her heart back. The Vow stars, um, the movie The Vow stars a couple of very popular actors right now, Channing Tatum and Rachel McAdams. And just so that you will know, Hollywood has been making movies for since the 1890s. They've made a lot of movies during those 120 years they've been in existence, but The Vow is considered to be one of the top six romantic movies of all time. It's a storyline of this movie that intrigues me because I see something redemptive in it. A few weeks ago, I mentioned something that really, I think, maybe shocked some of you in the sense that you had never heard this before. Uh, Jewish theologians actually teach that all of us, our souls were created before our bodies were. They teach that our souls have existed for maybe god only knows how long depending on how long it was that the earth was created how many years back if scientists are right that's millions of years we don't know what the six creative days days divisions days actually mean in scripture because we didn't have days then that we know now so it could have meant any number of things. thousand years is unto the Lord is a day, and one day is a thousand years. He lives in eternity, so we can't use our yardsticks to define what those six days mean is my point. Now, here's what I want to say. Jewish theologians, you can look this up in the Jewish Encyclopedia of their Faith. Rabbis teach that whenever uh, he created the world in six days, what did he do on the seventh? He sat down and rested and didn't create anything else from that time forward. Everything was programmed to reproduce after its own kind. The exception was humanity, and that humanity, we reproduce like Adam and Eve were instructed, after their own kind like everything else. But we all had souls. But wait a minute. They said he created and sat down. Okay, if he sat down and was through creating, where did our soul come from since we were not born to thousands of years later? And their theory is, their theology is that he created all of our souls then and we were with God, fully knowledgeable and aware with him. And then like Rachel Adams, or Christian Carpenter, when we came into this world, we lost all of our memory of our relationship with the Lord, one who loved us so much. And so here we are. God wiped our memory away because... They teach that he wanted us to decide on our own whether we loved him or not, and he set it back. He set about seeking to win us to himself. That—that's the entire story of redemption in the Bible, is God is trying to win us back to Himself. Boy, that's powerful to me. Amen. And many early Christians believed this. Origen who lived in the second century, one of the early church fathers, taught this vociferously, as did others. Others disagreed. That's why it was not included in in the basic Christian doctrines because they could never come to unanimity on this subject. And, in fact, uh, if you look at some of the apocrypha, which are the extra-biblical writings that were even considered and evaluated, and they thought they might be, you know, they considered putting them in our Bible. It stopped at 66 books. The Apocrypha talks about this too, about our souls being in existence before. Now, here's my point. I don't know if that's true or not. Just frankly don't know. That's one of the great mysteries. I am intrigued by things like that that I don't understand. They, that just, oh, that, that turns my crank, you know, because I get to study on some stuff that, you know, as nobody's come to a pat conclusion about. So it's not even essential to our salvation, or it would be in the Bible, but there's a lot of stuff that's not essential to our salvation. And a lot of it was left out of the Bible. Paul, what he heard when he went to heaven, you can't talk about that here. And we don't know what was said, what he saw. There's a lot of stuff that whenever you study the Word of God, you will find it's not there and it's not there Because it was not essential. Everything that is essential to you knowing God is there. But nonetheless, I am intrigued by the parallels with what the rabbis teach and what some of the early Christian fathers taught in this movie right here. Because that is exactly what happened. And there's even that, that, what was the other guy's name, the ex-boyfriend? That in the movie, because she can't remember this window in between... He says, that's her ex-boyfriend, but to her, that's her boyfriend. And you see Chatham, uh, Channing Tatum going up. Pow. Now you will not say, yeah, you know what I mean? You know, Get out of the way, I'll hit him too. How can a sucker like that take advantage of a woman that he knows is married that rejected him for this person and now has lost memory of that? Boy, if that don't tell me what the devil's trying to do... That don't pretty much describe exactly what is happening in the redemptive story of humanity. I don't know my Bible, and I've read it a lot. Amen. And someday God's going to say, come here, you. And he's going to put him on the floor, too. And we're going to all stand back and say, yeah, go. Amen. He's tried to take advantage of us being here. If what they say is true, and this is my point. It's not essential that it is, but it means that we were something sometime. And furthermore, when I look into the Bible and see what God created, I find out I really was something. Mankind was something. Yes, he was. Made in God's image and likeness. Oh, Lord, have mercy. We are just a, a, an empty, frail caricature of who we were originally designed to be. That's no disrespect to anybody. But what Jesus came to do is get all of that back for us. Which is why it's important that a gospel message not just be about spiritual things but teaches me how to be successful in all of these other six areas of my life as well. Because we best reflect the image of the one we're made in when we are like him. And guess what? He's perfect in all all of his ways and complete in all of his ways. That's how he wants your life to be. And Jesus came to win us back. How hard did he try? Gave his life for us. So much so that we as the church find ourselves saying like the lady in the the movie, Rachel McAdams, I wish I could love you the way you've loved me. That's the prayer of my life. God, help me to love you the way you've loved me. We love him because he first loved us. Amen. But we lost something. And clearly, Jesus has come to restore that. In fact, I think personally that many, many times, most times, most of my life, in fact, I've misunderstood Genesis 3 and 9. I think most believers to this day misunderstand it. Adam, where art thou? What well, do you think it means? Well, God's looking, God's looking for Adam. Oh, really? God doesn't know where Adam is at. Really, the God who knows everything. Adam's playing hide and seek and God doesn't know where he's at. Really, that's what you think? No, that's not what it means. What you're hearing in Genesis 3 and 9 is the plaintive lament of God. Where is the Adam I created that was made in my image and likeness? Adam, where are you? The cry of God that echoes across the centuries, that is his cry to see his people, mankind, restored back to the image that he had given to us and this is why, at this point, I'm talking about prayer. you got to see it, you got to say it, and everybody say it with me, you got to pray it. Why is prayer important? Prayer is the vital and necessary component that we must practice to enable us to experience transformation and to back into His divine image and likeness. Amen. How important is, is it for us to pray? There are some things. Now, the first thing that I said that was controversial to some of you was me mentioning that we might have existed before our bodies were created. Well, that's what God told Jeremiah. Before I formed you in your mother's belly, I knew you. Okay? Called Cyrus by name 200 years before Cyrus was born. I mean, the point is... They can sort all that stuff out and someday when I get to heaven, I have my little list I'm going to ask the Lord to explain (laughs) to me. But this one thing I'm absolutely emphatic about, I think we've also misunderstood the sovereignty of God. Most of us picture it like this. God is sovereign and so when God is sovereign, he makes up his mind to do something, it's going to get done, bless God, because he's God. Really. I think that being raised in a democracy blinds us to understanding what being raised in a monarchy is really like. A sovereign is the ruler over a monarchy. He's the king. Monarchies and democracies are not the same thing. And I think influences like this can actually affect your theology. Isn't that what Jesus told his disciples? I haven't found this kind of faith in all of Israel. Who is he talking about? A man that was a Roman centurion. Everybody that was around him who were Jews raised in a theocracy could not understand when the man said, Jesus, you don't even need to come to my house. Say say the word only and my servant will be healed because I understand what spiritual authority means. These folk around here, they don't. Because they were not raised in the kind of political environment I was raised in, where I understand if the emperor says something, you do it. Mm -hmm. The point that I'm trying to make here is that sovereigns are not presidents; they're not elected. Sovereigns do do not do things in an empire; they their function is to rule. To govern, to administrate, to make declarative fiat statements. A fiat statement is a statement I'm king, bless God, this is the way it's going to be. And remember the fiat car? That's a car because I said it's a car. It's basically what fiat means. Amen. So when a king says, for example, I'm, we're, I'm going to build a road. From here to here, one city to another. How many of you think you're going to see the king out there with a hard hat on and work boots and a shovel in his hand? It's not up to the king to do what he has decided to be done. He declares, he administrates, he rules. He, de- he, he is the one who, who makes the, 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 the decision, chooses the option, the elective. He says, this is what we will do. Whose job is it to get it done? The subjects of the kingdom. Help me out. I need need an amen. Oh, some lazy folk will get upset by by what I'm going to preach here today. All those that want to say, oh, I'm saved. God said it. I'm going to sit here and wait on it. I'm getting ready to make you uncomfortable. I'm just letting you know that right up front. (laughs) Love you, bushel and a peck and don't mean to offend you, but I'm just going to let you know that's not correct biblical theology. Amen. Whenever God, King, Sovereign declares it, our job as his subjects is to pray it into existence. Amen. Amen. In fact, some things don't even get done that God wanted to see done unless we do pray. Oh, I can really see some feathers being ruffled right now. And, but let me give you scripture. You, I mean, it's in your Bible. I mean, it's so Just your word. Look at Ezekiel 22, verse 30 and 31. So I, God, sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Watch it now. You see, God's heart is toward us. But God put laws that are irrevocable into motion in this universe. Like the sun's going to rise in the east and set in the west, whether you want it to or not, you can pass a petition and it will not affect things. Hear what I'm saying? Amen. And judgment is balanced by God's mercy and God's mercy is balanced by God's judgment. So whenever there are when a life of unrighteousness is lived, the heart of God cries out to redeem that person. But the judgment of God says, if that person will not allow themselves to be redeemed, then their actions must be addressed. And in this particular instance, God is telling Ezekiel, and just, just watch this now. Those verses I read from Jeremiah earlier, about all those promises, that was made before they were carried away into Babylon. Where is this one? Ezekiel 22 and 30 being written in Babylon. Watch this, this is powerful. So Ezekiel is there and God is explaining to him why his people were carried away captive that he had told in Jeremiah they're going to be carried away captive but I'll bring them back home. He's saying, I didn't want them to be carried away captive. I stood there and I tried to get somebody to pray. But watch this next verse. Therefore, because I didn't find anybody to pray, I have poured out my indignation on them and consumed them with the fire of my wrath. And I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. I didn't want to do it. My mercy was saying, isn't there just one person that will pray that can bring my will into existence? My will is that they not perish Hello, you hearing what I'm saying right now? My will is is that they turn to God. If just one person will pray, I'm the sovereign. I'm the king. I've made a declaration. I don't want them to perish. Will somebody pray my will into existence? Nobody prayed God's will into existence. And so God said, my righteous judgment had no option other than to call for this penalty. Sometimes what happens is if God speaks a promise, now this is different, if he actually speaks it out loud and declares it, it will come to pass. Because his word cannot return to him void. But it might not come to pass in the lifetime of the person he wanted it to be, come to pass in. Now I'm, I'm really getting heavy now. Because if you do not pray it into existence and make it happen, Then it might be five generations later or 10. might be 100 years later. One of your descendants is going to raise up because your descendants have the right to claim whatever has been spoken as a promise over your life. And just like Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 sons of Jacob inherited God's promise to Abraham, their grandfather, your children inherit God's promises to you. So if you don't pray it into existence, it doesn't mean it's not coming. It just won't come for you. God wants you to understand you have a role to play. You don't just see it and say it. you got to pray it. Amen. And when you pray it, you make things happen in the spirit dimension. You see, when God gets ready to do something, often this is the pattern he follows. And I'm not going to be able to finish this today. I'll have to do this the next time. When God sets out to do something, this is the pattern that he follows. He first declares it, then he waits for somebody to pray it so he can manifest it as he has promised. I saw it. I even went looking and will you pray? No, not me. How about you? You? No, I'm too busy. You going to pray? No. Uh, look, guys, I don't want this to happen. God said I found nobody that would pray. You see, we have been taught that prayer in churches, and it's even been modeled. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Has it been modeled this way? We've been taught that praying is painful. Oh! Come on, help me out here. Y'all go to the same church I went to? Christianity has taught that prayer has been anything but enjoyable, even been boring. How many of you have ever been to a boring prayer meeting? It's because we didn't understand what we were doing we thought we were trying to talk God into doing something he didn't want to do. And whenever that is the position you take, the most boring job you can ever engage in upon is to try to get him to do what he don't want to do. You, you, you try to, I'm hard-headed enough, you're going to have a hard time talking me into doing something I don't want to do. But I can be persuaded. But him... Uh Uh-uh. Known unto him are all of his acts from the beginning. God already knows what he's going to do. But if we pray what he has spoken and we change our perspective, we're not trying to twist God's arm to make him do something he doesn't want to do. We are his subjects entering into divine partnership with a sovereign king of the universe who is king of kings and lord of lords. (laughs) Amen. He rules over everything. He spoke it, now we're going to do it, amen. Amen. We're going to pray it into existence. We're gonna transfer it from that realm into this one we live in right here. We're reaching our arms up into the heavens, and when you understand what I'm talking about, the sky, really is the limit. People use that phrase but don't know how true it actually is. The sky is the limit. What he has declared in the heavens is the limit of what can be done in your life. And so many of us are living beneath our privilege right now in one of these seven areas or more in our life and God is saying, Where are you, Adam? Adam, hey, Adam, I'm looking for you. Where's the man that I created in my likeness, the woman that is made in my image that will stand up and see exploits done where the rest of the world can look and say, ha, my opinion of the church is wrong. My opinion of God is wrong until we understand what I'm teaching right now. The Richard Dawkins and the Bill Myers and all of these others out there that have denigrated the church and made fun of the church and belittled the church and and we have been intimidated into politically correct silence about these matters until we understand our role and step up to be who we are. They will never want what we have but let us rise up and be the people of God blessed coming in and going out. Hello. And we create a compelling attraction that nobody out there that wants to live a life that counts can possibly turn away from. They're gonna ask, how did you do that? What kind of stuff are you using? What's going on in your life? And all you have to say is my king declared it and I prayed it and God did it. Amen. God will bring it to pass. Will somebody in the building say hallelujah right now? And here's the good thing. You see, in a democracy, as we have seen, if people oppose what a democracy is trying to do, they do all of this, this stuff about trying to negotiate, and you can't have nuclear weapons, Iran. And ISIS, shame on you. You better stop that. And all, all of this stuff. You know what a king does? He says to his generals, get my army out there. I'm going to war, W-A-R, exclamation marks. And that's what Jesus taught. When someone said, we don't want this man to rule over us, they said, the king's going to show up someday. And when he shows up, he's going to defeat his enemies, and he's going to say, bring them to me, and they're going to cast them into outer darkness where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Everything Jesus taught, he taught from a sovereign's perspective, a monarch's perspective. Now, what does that mean for me and you? It means that if you can ever get it, you don't need to talk Him into anything. You're God's representative in the earth. When you pray what He has declared, He will show up and manifest in your life what He has already spoken over you. Amen. So, back to this whole thing about. You know, being lazy and wanting guys. God said it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm humble. I don't want to act in pride and arrogance. And I'm so humble I'm even proud of it. And amen. You know, and, just, and here I am, poor little humble me. I'm just trying to make it to heaven. And I don't want to be perceived with the wrong attitude and anything. So I'm going to just sit here and wait. And, and if God said it, it'll happen. No, it won't. What you need to do, Jesus said, is the violent take the kingdom by force. You've got to to realize the power you have as a believer. You're a child of God. You change destinies. You release power in the earth. You are mighty. You were created to do exploits. Those who know the Lord their God shall be strong and do exploits. Somebody in the building say, amen, 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 amen. Amen. Am I helping connect this to you? Am I helping you see what I'm saying? And so that then, of course, begs and demands even that we know what God teaches because there is no pure, no more pure form of prayer than to pray his own word back to him which is why I was praying that in Jeremiah a while ago. I'm going to pick this up the next time. And I want to show you, first God speaks it. Then he looks around for somebody to start praying it. And if you can pray it, you got some good stuff coming your way. Amen. Get beyond your fear. Get over your unbelief. Don't allow negativity to paralyze you. Look in the mirror and say, I'm looking at somebody that's got a destiny. And this year is my year for a breakthrough. Hallelujah to the Lamb. 2015 is my year to build my dream. And and all seven areas of my life, I'm going to build my dream. Amen. 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 What is the dream?